0: We're going to continue this morning in Luke chapter 11. We're going to continue to bring forth the, uh, the interaction of Jesus. He is speaking. You will recall he had, uh, he has left his ministry in Galilee. He is now making his way to Jerusalem. His arrival in Jerusalem and his ultimate, uh, the final Passover and his crucifixion is, is mere weeks away. And so Luke slows down the narrative, he's he's moved quickly, but now he's slowed down as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to give us some detail. By this point in the ministry of Jesus, three and a half years, he's been preaching and teaching and doing miraculous things. And of course, we know the particular event triggered here is he uh, takes the man who is Unable to speak and then brings him to where he can speak, and everyone is amazed. And then there's that group of people, the Pharisees and and the scribes, who are like, Well, he's just doing this by the devil. And and when that event all kind of gets done, he's invited to a Pharisee's home. Come on over to my home for lunch. Okay, Jesus accepts the invitation, and you will recall, it was a couple of weeks back, but you'll remember that. He walked in and walked by the ceremonial uh, little deal there to wash your hands and, and immediately went right to the table, which, of course, offended everyone in the room because oh, how dare you eat with unwashed hands? You know, I mean, that's, what are you, what are you doing? And, and, of course, he goes into a discussion with them about how the Pharisees, you guys, uh, you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't deal with the inside. You don't take care of what's going on inside. And if you don't, don't you realize that the God who made the outside made the inside and that you actually need to be cleaned on the inside first? And of course, by the time he's get done saying this, it's, huh, woo, you know, so we'll pick up the passage here. One of the lawyers in verse 45 said to him in reply, teacher, you know, when you say this, you, you insult us as well. Now, we can kind of, we need just a little background here as to who this person is. The Pharisees are people who would be like members of a club. They're kind of like members of the club. And so if you wanted to become a Pharisee, you could be whatever profession you were, any number of professions, uh, professional people could all be Pharisees. But a lawyer, which, by the way, is also referred to as a scribe, this is a particular job, and their job was to interpret the scriptures they would make copies of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, of all the Old Testament. This was a scribe literally would take a scroll and they would get, here's the old scroll, here's the new scroll, and they would start writing and they would copy it. So if you didn't have strong, exhaustive concordance, let alone a computer. So if you're like, you know, what is that verse? I remember there being a verse about... um, And you would go to the scribe and he would hopefully have a good memory and be able to go to the right scroll and pull it out and go, okay, this is the verse you're looking for. Okay. So these were the guys who, as it were, were the brains of the operation. If you were a Pharisee and you wanted to look for a verse, you would go to the scribes, to the lawyers. The lawyers were the, they were professionals. They did if you were a Pharisee, you might very well own a business. You might own, a, who knows what, a bakery or, or any number of businesses. If you were a scribe or a lawyer, your job, your profession was to study the Word of God. So they were the final authorities. They were the ones who actually, if the Pharisees had a question, you would go to the scribes. You would go to the lawyer and you would ask your question. So they're kind of a, a cut above which is why this lawyer looks at him and says, "You know, by going after the Pharisees, these are like our our disciples. now, some lawyers were Pharisees too, right? In fact, many of them. but again, being a Pharisee was you could come from multiple professions, so this guy is there because he's a Pharisee and a lawyer, so they would go to him and they would they would ask the Pharisees would ask him questions. so you've got to remember, these are the guys, right. They loved to be called rabbi. One of the reasons why they pursued their profession so that when they went to a feast, they got the uh, upper seats. You know, they got to sit at the head table after all. They would go and make long prayers just so everyone would see how spiritual they were. These were the very guys who would drop big things in in the money plate. These are not guys who are used to being insulted. You didn't insult these guys. You you didn't say things that their whole religious experience was to promote themselves. This is what was going on here. They lived to be esteemed. This was what their original their religious identity was. They saw themselves as a little better than everyone else. They literally walked around like I actually, I really am holier than you. And so, for Jesus to stand up, uh, or at, at the meal, to, as he's reclining in there eating, to just tell the Pharisees, you know, you guys are are quite hypocritical. You wash the outside of the cup, but you don't get around to washing the inside. So, if the lawyers were the ones who actually taught the Pharisees... um, So, the lawyer's looking at Jesus, and you can imagine this look, right? You may have given this look. This is kind of that over-the-glasses look like, you know. It's this, are you sure you want to say this? I mean, you do realize what you're saying, right, Jesus? I mean... By insulting the Pharisees, you're insulting us. Now, you don't really want to do that, do you? I mean, this is kind of what's being implied here. It's like, do you have any idea who you're actually talking to here? And, okay, so you insulted the Pharisees, but but are you willing to actually insult the lawyers too? So Jesus looks at him and he says, well... Woe to you lawyers as well. And then he proceeds to give a list of things that the lawyers were also engaged in. Once again, Jesus is going to address what false religion looks like. It's instructive and we should look at it. By the way, I don't think Jesus is, you know, I don't don't think he's angry. I don't, I don't think he's, you know, pounding the table as he says this. I don't think he's red in the face. I don't. I think he's just saying this. There is an attempt here on the part of Jesus to one more time try to help these folks think clearly about their relationship with God. This is your moment to consider what it is you're doing. What, what kind of a relationship do you really have with God? Have you thought through how this is going? Have you thought about how you're coming across to people. You're supposed to be representing God. So what does that look like? And are you even paying any attention to it? Or are you so caught up in your own self-esteem and in your own self-estimation of how holy and righteous you are that you can't pay any attention to how you're coming across to everyone else? I'm I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity uh to go to a and and hopefully you haven't, by the way. When I I I grew up in New England and I grew up in churches in New England, and I had an opportunity to occasionally, uh you'll see why it's and by the time I'm done you'll know why it was only occasionally, to go to pastors gatherings. And I'm so sorry to say, most pastors' gatherings that, that I managed to make it to at that time, I'm I'm sure there were others that I probably should have gone to, but the ones I managed to make it to, you would show up at this thing, and it would be, oh, you know, 25, maybe 30 guys. Um, most of them, New England churches, are, are generally struggling. They're... Uh, you have to go to New England. Uh, if I described to you what New England is like, you wouldn't believe me. So I'm not going to bother. And then just like the weather. Okay. Think about what you think of the New England weather, right? Okay. That's how it is up there. So anyone who had a church, I mean, if you had a church of 200, I mean, that might as well be a church of 2000 down here. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, you're kidding me. You have 200 people. Where in the world do you get 200 people in New England? It's, it's, you know, you're in Boston and you're lucky to get 200 people show up at church on any given Sunday morning. So, what would happen is you would get a guy who actually had a church of 200, and he's the guy that's, that's got this, this, pastor's, this pastor's meeting, and he's got three or four of his guys with him, and they're all yes men, and the whole point of this meeting is for all the rest of you to know just how important he is. And I'm not, I, I wish I were exaggerating, I'm not. And the whole, just preening, you know, just, just want everyone to know that he's the successful guy around here. The, if you got around to the discussion time, the entire point of the discussion time was to have some new guy who come, came in actually be silly enough to open his mouth and say something. Because the whole idea was to completely embarrass him. And, I, Okay. You know, you're, you're like, I'm not sure we really need to get together for this. I'm not sure that this is a matter of edification. In fact, by the time I walk away from this, I'm like, what, what in the world are we doing going here? This is what can happen if we're not careful. We end up taking our religion, and, and these are guys who do the gospel. Not suggesting they're not going to make their way to heaven. But even guys who knew the gospel could not help themselves from getting around and eyeing one another and trying to figure out whose church is better than the other guy's church and who's got more people and who's doing better. And and it's like, so imagine these guys. These guys are not saved. These guys are not believers. In fact, these are the guys who are going to crucify Jesus. The idea of getting into a religious position and to see it as a profession and to see it as well you know, religious people seem to be held in high esteem. I, I think maybe I'll pursue religion so that people will respect and admire me. Um, okay. You may want to give that a go and see how it actually goes. Uh, there are people who do. That, there are, but there are moments. Uh, <clears throat> there are folks out there who, let me assure you, do not respect or admire you whatsoever. Um, and so this guy, this lawyer, is... It's one of these people. He has gotten into this and expects people to respect him. So when Jesus Jesus speaks to him, it's like your problem is that you're in this for you. But you're not really in this to help people, which is, which is what he says to them. Woe to you lawyers as well. Okay, you want me to talk to the lawyers? Fine. Here's what you do. Here's here's error number one. You weigh down men with burdens that are very difficult to bear, and you yourself even touch this burden with one of your fingers. So what you're doing is you're putting out there this list of things that people ought to do. But this list that you're dreaming up, well, you just kind of make sure that there are certain things that aren't on this list. For instance, something tells me there weren't a whole lot of sermons in synagogues about the evils of money changing. Somehow, I think in the first century, that whole discussion about money changers just never quite made its way into the synagogue. We're not really going to talk about that because because we're making a whole lot of money off money changing. So we're not really going to get up and and talk about that. That's, that's, That's just not out there. We're not going to talk about how your prayers ought to really be done in private between you and God and you, you know, the prayers that really matter are the ones you do in your closet. Mm, Yeah, no, we're not going to really have those sermons either. We're not going to have those sermons because, well, we all know that we want to say our prayers out loud so everybody can see what great men of God we are. And so we just kind of miss those kinds of sermons. We We don't give those kinds of sermons. Uh, we're out here and even if we do give certain things if we hope that you're so busy doing the things we tell you that you won't actually notice what we're doing it's kind of like it's kind of like being in what was it the bahamas the caribbean where was it the guy was that uh got up and 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 lectured uh, all of his uh, constituents on how they need to stay home and they need to uh not travel for the holidays and and they uh had this message uh, recorded while they were in the uh, Caribbean or the Balls or somewhere out there. Uh, no hypocrisy there, right? Oh, no, yeah, no. You all need to stay home and don't get together with your family and don't, don't listen to all that noise behind me as I'm gathered with my family in some foreign country. Yeah, no. Um, these guys would have really liked that guy. They'd have thought that was a really good approach to it. You, you say, but you, you, don't, you don't do do um, when I was, when I was young, uh, the Christianity that I kind of grew up with, uh, you would get a, you would get guys who would come in, you know, they'd be guest speakers and they would, they would come in and they would stand up and they would speak and, um, off they'd go and, and they'd, you know, pound the pulpit and, and they'd yell and holler and they'd sweat and, you know, and, and, and what, were they, what were they up there hollering about? Well, you know, that evil drinking and smoking and swearing, you know. I don't want to be doing any of that. And while you're at it, you don't want to be playing cards on Sunday and, and no gambling or, or, or going to the movies either, by the way. You better not be attending any movies. And, uh, and, and then they get going on, oh, how evil, you know, dancing is. And women wearing pants in church. Oh, and mixed bathing. I don't know when the last time was you heard that, but I grew up listening to that. And uh, and then they got on to, as, you know, time went by, yeah, that syncopated beat. Boy, I'll tell you how evil that is. No one ought to be doing anything like that. And men's hair. Boy, you better, you know, keep your hair short. And, and the new generation, they just all a bunch of lazy bums, you know. Um... Okay, I mean, that's all somewhat interesting. But, you know, if you actually go down through that list, even at the time, okay, if you grew up in a Christian home back when I was a kid, you know, which would have been the 60s, maybe, you know, 70s when I was a teenager, uh, if you grew up in a Christian home, chances are pretty good. Your parents didn't even, there wasn't any alcohol in the whole house anywhere. Nobody was smoking. Uh, So... If you actually manage to, you know, sneak a cigarette out behind the barn, you know, one puff of that thing, like, (laughs) who in the world would ever want to do that anyway? And if you taste alcohol, you know, it's an acquired taste, right? It's it's awful. It's like, (laughs) who drinks that stuff? So, you know, next thing you know, uh, you know... Dead gummit, you know, is about as, as explicit as you're going to get. So, so, you know, it's actually pretty easy to stand up and talk about the evils of smoking and drinking and, and swearing because we don't do any of that stuff. So you can get up and yell and holler and pound the pulpit and march around and, oh, you know, the devil is out there and, and everybody else, amen, you know, we're all amen because what? You know, okay, so none of us are doing that, particularly if you grew up in a Christian home and... And you just go down through the list, right? Uh, playing cards. I don't know. If you can play cards on Monday, uh, I'm pretty sure you can play them on Sunday. I don't know. You want to get excited about that. And attending movies? Well, we don't have a problem with that anymore. You can't attend the movies anyway. But um, Don't put evil things in front of your eyes. Actually, I think if we'd have supported good movies, we might have got more of them. There's something to be said for that. Uh, Ladies, you know, pants, really? Okay. Men not dressed like women. Women should not dress like men. You tell me the last time was you saw a woman in pants that you couldn't tell was a woman. I, you know, I, I mean, come on. You know, it's, it's like we all, it, it's clear. This is not really all that big an issue. Um, and mixed bathing, I don't even know if you know what that is. Where I lived, the ice was only off the lake for about three months out of the year. And when there was time to get in, I mean, everybody better get in, you know. It's, you don't have time to wait here. You should be modest, of course. Um music. I, you know, I like to think we've kind of got over the music war. Um, men's hair length. Uh, it's really interesting. If you grew up in the 60s, everybody everybody grew their hair long. So if your parents, those are your parents, you know, you're going to have to be Samson before your parents get around to noticing that your hair is long, you know? So, I mean, it's very cultural It's to exactly what makes long hair. And everybody thinks the new generation is lazy. It's... it's Eternal. Your parents thought you were lazy, by the way. Just throw that out there. So this whole long list of things that you could get up and rail and yell and holler. and pop. Okay, this is all nothing but a big long list of traditions of men. This is what this is. That's all this is. This isn't Christianity. What about anger? What about forgiveness? What about compassion? What about patience? Loving kindness? What about husbands loving their wives? How about the heart? None of this was the heart. All of this was a list of things that you could do. And if you could check off the list, you know, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't run with the girls that do, you know. I, uh, man, my hair is the right length and I wear the right clothes and uh, woohoo, I'm all good. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. That is not how you become all good. Are you humble? Are you compassionate? Are you gracious? Are you kind? Do you esteem others better than yourself? Do you build one another up? Do you speak words of encouragement? Do you rejoice? These are the things that you ought to be doing. This is the kind of heart attitude that we need to have. Now, How do you get where they were, right? I'll give you one road that you could go down. I think there are a number, but I'll give you one. If you have kids. When your kid reaches a certain age, the child reaches a certain age, and they're old enough to interact and talk to you, and you tell them to do something, and they look at you and they say, Why? Now, the first time they get around to doing that, you're you're probably going to actually answer it. You know, it's, it's uh, eat your peas. Why? Well, because people are starving in Africa. You know, I mean, I don't know. You come up with something, right? And, and we all know, what, what, is, the, what is the answer? Uh, why, right? I mean, it's, they just come back with why again. I mean, you know, why? And they come to find out no matter what you tell them. It's why. And so you eventually get to the place where and, and I don't know about you, but I know when I was a child, I swore I would never, speaking of hitting the pulpit, that I would never tell my kids this. <laughs> you end up looking at them and saying, and realizing immediately why your parents finally got around to saying this, because I said so. You really can't reason with three-year-olds. I mean, you can give it a go, but it, 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 it's not going to happen. You're just going kind to of have to finally get down to where, look, you got to do it because I said to do it, and I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of, of reasons here. We're not, we're not going to go down through the list of reasons as to why I'm telling you this until you finally get to one that you think maybe could exempt you from, from doing what it is I want you to do. And you realize that you don't have a lack of knowledge, you just have a lack of obedience. That's all you've got. And so you need to just lay down the law. You do it because I said so, and that's it. Now, that's okay, and that's good. For a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, if you actually want to produce a mature, responsible adult, you do need to get to the place, as time goes by, where you begin to actually explain the reasoning behind what you're asking your child to do. Because if you don't do that, you're going to end up with, I don't want you to think, just shut up and do what I say. Okay, that is... This size, you might get away with it. By the time they're 12, that's not going to work so well. Now, by the time they're 12, they may just be like, okay, you know, roll their eyes and go, this is how it is I'll live in this house. I'll be 18 soon enough, and I'll just get out of here. And by the time they do, in fact, turn 18 and get out of there, you know what? They have no idea why they should even live a Christian life. They have no idea because you never bothered to tell them. You never actually explained why it is you're doing what you're doing. I tend not to give too many personal illustrations, but I'm going to give you one. Um, my son, he ended up at a Christian school. Uh, we homeschooled through the eighth grade. And freshman year, my wife is like, I-, I know who I am. I just can't do this anymore. So we need to get this kid into Christian school. So he's in a Christian school. He didn't know a soul. Didn't know anybody there. By his junior year, they had made him the chaplain, the student body chaplain. They'd never made a junior the student body chaplain before. That was it was okay. So he's doing good. You know, the adults all, you know, they really like him, and he's a good, responsible kid. Gets to the end of his junior year, and he says to me, I really want to bleach my hair. He's already blondish, but he wants to bleach his hair. I'm like, okay, let me explain this to you. Your The student chaplain, you are an example of what it is to be a, hopefully, mature, responsible member of the class. I got to tell you, the adults who at the moment are very happy with you and are very pleased with who you are, are probably not going to be quite so happy and pleased with you if you bleach your hair. Um, Personally, I don't really care. It's hair. it's It's not like you're getting a tattoo here. Just bleaching your hair. I don't. You want to make your hair white? I don't I don't care. But I just want you to be aware that from an adult perspective, there are going to be adults who are going to misunderstand what you're doing. Are you willing to put on the line your being the student body chaplain? Oh, they won't, they won't do that. Okay. I'm- you know what? This is his last day as a junior. He's going to be a senior the next year. And this is an age where, and this is a fairly controlled environment here. It's not like he's, you know, going out and doing some crazy thing here. He's, he's changing the color of his hair. I okay, okay. Well, so I let him. And you know, I, I know this is going to come as a shock to you all, but uh, he wasn't the chaplain come his senior year. And I never said I told you so. I didn't have to. It was one of those moments, it was one of those teaching moments where it's like, come to find out, dad actually has a little insight into how the adult world works. And I want to share with my children how the adult world works. There's a way adults think. And by the way, adults are the people in charge. They have the money. They have the jobs. They, and if you want to operate in the adult world, there comes a moment where you actually have to Initiate your child into how adults see things so that they will succeed when they become adults. Jesus says to his disciples, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends, and I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to explain this to you. The problem with the Pharisees and the problem with the pharisaical approach to living your Christian life is, shut up, don't think, do exactly what we tell you, and that'll be good enough. I don't want you to think about it. Don't wrestle with principles. Don't wrestle with whether or not David ought to actually have eaten the show bread. Clearly, David shouldn't have eaten the show bread. It was wrong. And we don't care about the guy with his withered hand. If he wants to get his withered hand healed, he can show up on on Sunday instead of Saturday, which, by the way, Saturday was the Sabbath, just to be clear, right? He could show up on the next day. He could show up on any day but the Sabbath. And we don't care about the guy with his withered hand. That's legalism. Don't want you to think about it. Just do exactly what we say. and That's exactly what the lawyers were doing. You lay all these burdens on people that you don't lift one finger. Why don't you lift one finger? Well, because it's a list of stuff that you don't do. You come up with this big, you know, if you're going to defeat sin, or at least think you're going to defeat sin, by outward ceremonial actions, I'm going to perform these ceremonies and they're going to help me defeat my sin nature. Okay, you're going to have to squeeze your sin nature down into this tiny little box that is a list of things that you don't do. And it, that list is probably going to get smaller as time goes by. And you're going to have to figure out a way to manipulate the law to get it around to where it, it protects you from ever being guilty of doing anything on that list which is exactly what the lawyers were professionals at. They were professionals at twisting the law around and getting it to where there were such crazy things going on. I mean, it's just insane rules and regulations so that they could be sure and keep the law. But the fact is, they didn't get a new heart. They didn't get transformed. The, The fact is that if you if you think that doing some little ceremony, if you think salvation is raising your hand, coming down front and praying some little prayer, and then, and then we hand you a gospel of John with a little thing in it that says, no matter what you do from here on in, you're saved and going to heaven. Just stick this in your pocket or put it in a safety deposit box somewhere. And when you die, take it out and show it to God. And you can just go live however you want. I mean, if you, if you think that is actually true, uh, it's a... Uh, That's not a good place to be. That was the gospel I was taught as a child, as a young person. In fact, I read books that said, don't include repentance with the gospel. That's adding works to it. Have you not read the New Testament? You know, Acts is absolutely filled with Paul going out and preaching that everyone needs to repent. God commands everywhere now to repent. And by the way, it's not an invitation. It's a summons. Your Lord summons you. And you need to come down and repent if you're going to come down at all. Actually, you can repent in your chair. It's just fine. God is okay with repentance right there. He's, God is no closer to me than he is to you. He's sitting right in the pew next to you. You can repent tonight when you're at home alone and kneel next to your bed and repent. This is what we, we need to turn from our sin and turn to God. We need a transformation of our heart. We're not going to perform some little ceremony. We need to be different people. And that's their problem. They're not different people. Oh, they think they are. They they think they are. Jesus goes on and says to them, woe to you, their next era, you build the tomb of the prophets and it was your fathers who killed them. You think that because you go out and you're like, "Oh, oh, all these prophets my father's killed, we're going to adorn those tombs and we're going to... We're going to dress them all up and we're going we're gonna to make it clear that, that, well, we weren't like them. Why, if God were to send us a prophet, we would listen. You think so, huh? Because here's Jesus, literally, that's who they're talking to. Forget a prophet. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's the very son of God. Jesus not only has the truth of God and speaks the truth of God, He has the ability to do miracles that no one in the Old Testament could do. And not only did he have the ability to do these miracles, he gave the same ability to the 12 and then to the 70. Now, Moses was a great guy. Moses could, he did miracles for the Egyptians. But you know, Moses didn't hand off any of his miracle doing ability to Joshua. Even though Moses was a great guy. Joshua ended up having the ability to go in and defeat the land, but that was all Joshua's. And he didn't give it to anybody else either. Elijah, tremendous miracle worker. But Elisha, he didn't give Elisha anything. He just, Elisha said, you know, it'd be nice if I could have the miracles that you have. In fact, I'd like a double portion of them. I'd like to not just do the negative miracles. I'd like to do the positive ones. And Elijah looks at him like, well, that's a really hard thing. It's up to God. I don't, you know. So if you see me ascend into heaven, then, you know, you can assume that God is going to grant that, that request of yours. And of course he did. He watched Elijah go up into heaven in a fiery chariot and his, he got his mantle. And, and of course he did get it. But he didn't give it to anybody either. And these are the greatest Old Testament prophets. I mean, these are just fantastically amazing prophets of God. But they couldn't give any of their miraculous gifts to anybody else. Jesus did. The 12 did the same miracles Jesus did. So did the 70. I mean, Jesus was a prophet of prophets. They had absolutely no excuse. I should have accepted what Jesus did. So he says to them, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you're building their tombs. And it's not like you haven't thought about this. You've thought clearly about this. And what you've thought is that we're not going to be like our fathers. We're, we're not going to be like them. They, they killed the prophets who came amongst them. But if God sent us prophets, we, we would never kill a prophet of God. Really? You would never kill a prophet of God. And you're planning, as soon as this lunch is over, by the way, they will oh, they so want to kill Jesus, a prophet of God. And so he says to them, for this reason also, The wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they'll persecute. There's no book, by the way, The Wisdom of God. Jesus is speaking of the wisdom of God. In God's wisdom, he has made it clear that you guys, I'm going to send you prophets and apostles, and some of them you'll kill, and some of them you'll persecute. And of course, from the time of John the Baptist, who they were completely responsible, then they could have gone to Pilate and said, you can't kill John. (laughs) Kidding me? They didn't care. They were happy to see John out of the way. They were happy to see Jesus out of the way. In fact, they went and demanded that they that the Romans kill Jesus. They were responsible for that. And so God sends them prophets, God sends them apostles, and some of them they killed, and some of them they persecuted. Which is exactly what they did. They acted just like their fathers. You would think. Well, well, I'll get to it in just a second here. So Jesus gives these gifts to fishermen, tax collectors, reli- political zealots. They have the ability to do miracles. You would think the religious guys had kind of step back for a second and go, this is really pretty amazing. I This has got to be God at work. But they don't. They They don't. So Jesus says to them, no, 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 you're like your fathers, you're worse than your fathers. And he goes on and says, so the blood of all the prophets, shed since the foundation of the world will be charged against this generation. Like the Noahic flood, where the wickedness of man had been going on for some time, but it was that generation that was actually consumed by the flood. So, so you guys, I mean, from the blood of Abel, which by the way, Cain and, Abel, right? To the blood of Zechariah. And there are 27 Zechariahs in the Old Testament, by the way. But this one, Matthew actually says he's uh, Zechariah and who he's the son of. Uh, he's the son of Berchiah, which is the guy who wrote the book, Zechariah. You know, he's, he's one of the last Old Testament prophets. So you've got the first Old Testament prophet, which is Abel, who is showing the true way to give correct sacrifice, to Zechariah, who is the last Old Testament prophet. You'll recall after Zechariah, there's no more prophets. There's 400 years in which God does no longer speaks to his people. So from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, I tell you, yes, it shall be charged against this generation. All of those prophets, all of them, who all spoke, none of them had the ministry of John the Baptist or Jesus or the apostles or the 70, none of them. Not one of them. And so you guys are going, you you have every reason why you should have seen the truth. And Jesus is talking to them. Why is Jesus talking to them? Because he's trying to get them to see the truth. It's going to happen. The judgment of God is going to fall in. And of course it did, right? 66 AD, the zealots, the, the party of the Jews who were determined to overthrow the Romans, decided that they were going to overthrow the Romans. And so they just started an all-out war with the Romans. And, of course, Titus, the great Roman general, who the Romans conquered the world, right? So, I mean, they got world-class military leaders. Titus is one of them. One of the greatest generals in the history of the world shows up outside Jerusalem. And you can read it. Josephus writes about it. You can can go on and Google Josephus and read about the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, He was outside. He was with the Romans although he's Jewish, and he writes about it, and it's, it's a fairly interesting account. You should, if, if you're at all historically inclined, you should read Josephus's account of this war against the city of Jerusalem, um, and of course he wins. It takes a little while, you know, they have big walls, but when he finally wins, they, they destroy Judaism. They, they cut down every tree anywhere near the place, and make crosses out of them. And when they finally break through the walls, they grab all the leaders and crucify the whole bunch of them. I mean, thousands of crucifixions. And they take the temple, Herod's temple, and they drag the whole thing down into the Kidron Valley. You you can go to my Sunday school room and you can look at the picture from the Mount of Olives. You're down in the Kidron Valley. Up The wall's still there, but the top is just wiped clean. There's nothing left of the temple. They just completely dragged the temple off. Why? Because they had their opportunity to believe in their Messiah, and they chose not to do it. And there was every reason to do it. And verse 52, what do you lawyers? You have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves didn't enter, and you hindered those who were entering. You've taken the law of Moses and you've twisted it around to such craziness that no one can understand what it says anymore. You've taken it to such extremes that even if anybody wanted to see the heart of God as reflected in the Old Testament, you've you've turned it around and and used so many uh, traditions and history and all of your crazy interpretations of what you've laid layer on top of layer on top of layer, that not only can you no longer figure out what in the world the sacrificial system was supposed to point to, you're over here thinking that it's somehow supposed to make you righteous, when it's supposed to show you how guilty you are, that not only can you not figure it out, but you've made sure no one else can figure it out too. And so Jesus says, woe to you lawyers. Woe to you. You are false teachers. You think you're presenting the way of God, and instead, you're simply leading people completely astray. And Jesus speaks plainly and clearly and directly to them. This is, this is because the. you would think, maybe, maybe you wouldn't, but, you know, Jesus, aren't you going to be polite? You're at this guy's house. You're at dinner, you know, lunch. This is a lunch with the Pharisees and some of the scribes and lawyers. And you walk in, you don't know, wash your hands. Everyone kind of raises their eyebrows at that. And you start talking to them about how they only wash the outside of the cup and they're hypocrites. And then the lawyers are like, wow, you know, I'm, well, if you're going to say that to them, what about us? Well, since you asked, um, let me make very clear to you what your errors are. Jesus does this out of compassion. Jesus does this because if if these guys don't get this, where are they going to spend eternity? And this is why we, in our society at this moment, must speak truth. Why don't they get mad about it? Why don't they get angry about it? Why don't they get all red in their faces and you know pound pulpits and. It, it, Men are men, and women are women, and God made them male and female. And that's that. And that's the truth. And if our society simply doesn't want to hear that, well, okay, our society can refuse to listen to that. But it doesn't change what the Word of God says, it doesn't change what God says. And the moment is going to come when we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to give an account. And every person who hated you and mocked you and went after you for saying the truth, will answer to God for it. And so we can be kind. We can be compassionate. And the kindest and most compassionate thing we can do is speak truth. Two men cannot get married. I don't care what the world says. They can say whatever they want to say. God created them male and female. That's marriage. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. They can say whatever they want to say. The word of God is unchanged. And we must speak the words of God. That's we're called to do. Not, Not with anger. Not because we hate people. We don't hate people. We love people. We want to give people the truth. We must speak truth. Our world must hear it. And we must speak it. Kindly, compassionately, because they're lost. The fact is that God sent his son to die for sinners, sinner. Which we all are. Jesus is about to die for these guys. They're about to crucify him. He's going to hang there for them. He's going to give them the sign of Jonah. It'll be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, and then we will raise from the dead. And they will see it, and they will hear it, and they will know it. And the guards will come back to them and say, We saw an angel, and, and, and the body is gone. And they'll say, Well, you just tell everyone that the disciples stole the body. You're kidding me. Even then, you're not going to repent? No. Okay. i assure you they're sorry to this very moment for that choice so we need to speak into our society we are the lights we are the light that needs to be set on a hill and we don't we don't have to have to add to that some kind of our own anger or anything else i mean you know you want to get excited about gay marriage we should have got excited when they did no-fault divorce. Let's face it, when they did no-fault divorce, that's, that's obliterating marriage. If you can just get divorced for any or no reason, well, that's the end of marriage. That was the time to get excited. But the time the world wants to get around to having two men or two women get married, well, I don't know. I don't know. Marriage is in deep trouble long before that event occurred. God, God calls us to be faithful to our spouse. Adultery is an equal sin to homosexuality. Why in the world would we get excited about one and allow the other to kind of go, Well, you know, we're going to talk about that. No, no, they're both a problem. We're sinners. Every one of us are sinners. That's why we're here to gather as sinners to get the grace of God. And that's why Jesus is speaking to these guys. He's trying to help them see their error so they can repent, so they can turn to God. So they can wake up to the error of their way. And all of their outward ceremony is not getting them anywhere. It's just not getting them anywhere. Let's pray. Lord, we look at the blindness of the Pharisees. We we just look at how they simply refuse to see. Lord, I just pray that that would not be any of us. That we would come to you with humility. That we would come to you with a heart full of repentance, willing to acknowledge that we are sinners in your sight, that we cannot attain to your righteousness. And we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your compassion. We need your forgiveness. We need your love. And thank you, Lord, that you give it. You so desire us to spend eternity in heaven with you. You sacrificed your own son's life. Thank you, Lord. May we live like we believe it. We ask in your son's name. Amen.